Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, mantenganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I want to take a little trip back in time to 1990, when I had an experience at Disney's MGM Studios that I wanted to share with you. Well, as many of you may remember, Disney's MGM Studios, when it first opened, was really supposed to be a real working movie studio. The idea was to create an environment where people would want to come in and have a working movie studio and have people come in and do productions there in Orlando, Florida, and have lots of things developing. Universal was doing something similar at their studio at that point in time. They were trying to create some movies, and there was a real arms race of a sort to try and get movies and television shows and productions to come to the Orlando area. There was some state money to be found for uh, doing some productions, so there was a good reason and a good rationale for trying to build this. And since you had a real working movie studio, it was a great opportunity to actually create something. Now, if you know about Universal Studios in California, it is a real working movie studio in addition to being a theme park. So you can actually take the backlot tour and actually see where different movies are being made. So Disney had a similar idea in Florida where they wanted to actually have movies being made, talk about how movies are made, and take you through all of these different things so that you could experience the movies firsthand. So that was the real goal. And on a future podcast, I'll have to take you through the whole backstory of Disney's MGM Studios and what it was like at the time that it was going on when they got started and they really had some ideas for productions. But this is about one particular story, and this was about the TV show Let's Make a Deal. So back in 1988 or 89, the Let's Make a Deal TV show was looking for a new home. It had been hosted by Monty Hall through the 70s and into the early 80s or so, maybe the mid-80s. And uh, at that point, it lost its production value. It didn't really succeed in the same way. And they were trying to find a new voice for it, kind of get it going. And they hired a couple of different hosts along the way. And it was being produced in California. But at some point, they decided to move production to Orlando and actually do it at Disney's MGM Studios. And over the course of a year and a half, they did 128 shows out of the studios. As far as I know, none of them are commercially available. You can't find them on YouTube. They're just not there. But they did actually do the show there for some period of time. NBC is the place to be. these ever-changing doors awaits a spectacular array of cash, merchandise, fun, and surprises. Today, from the Disney MGM Studios in Florida, Stage 1 is packed with people from all over the world ready to play America's favorite game. Let's make a deal. And now, here's our special guest host, ladies and gentlemen, the big dealer himself, Monty. Thank you very much for coming. Good to see you guys. So do you. 
thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Have a good time here today. Now, let me give you a little history of what Let's Make a Deal is all about. It was a very clever show that came out. I think it actually came out in the 1960s. And it was a way to kind of be interactive and have people dress up and engage to win prizes. Monty Hall was probably the greatest host of a game show. Well, I'll put him in the top three anyway. There were some great game show hosts in the, in the early days of game shows. He was certainly one of them. He had a persona and a personality that really did work in terms of making the deals. Monty Hall! Thank you very much. Thank you, and welcome... No, 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 no. You've got to let Uncle Monty do all the talking here. Otherwise, we'd have a duet going, you see? And uh, how's the old line go? I work alone. Sometimes Jay helps me, too. Listen, I've got something fantastic. I want everybody in the audience to take a look at this, and you people at home. Have you ever seen a check for $10,000 before? Well, I'm going to make this check available right now. Everybody say, aw. No, look, oh, look at the prompter over there. It says, kiss him anyhow, says Evelyn. I'll be along to collect my own later. It, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've got more fun for you. You, you wouldn't believe this. But your $500, which I, I should have in my... Well, you know, I don't carry small change with me. Am I good for the 500 you're good for the 500 All right, then you're good for the 500 Because now it's in your hands. The invisible 500 is now in your hands, right? Okay. Now, if you've seen the more recent version of Let's Make a Deal with uh, Wayne Brady you have a sense of what it's like. That one's, you know, sort of an intermittent production. I have seen it recently, but haven't seen it very recently, so I don't know if it's still in production, but I think it is. It gives you a sense of what the show is like. Now, the basic premise of the show is pretty simple. You're in a studio audience, and you're dressed in a costume of some sort, and you stand out in the crowd, and it's totally random selection, as far as I can tell, that the host walks along and he picks someone that he wants to have compete in the game show. And he'll offer them some prize. And the prize may be something like $100 or perhaps a TV or something like that. And then after you say whether you want that prize or not, he'll offer you the opportunity to trade up or potentially trade down with a mystery prize. So what they'll do is they'll stand there and they'll say, okay, do you, uh, you can keep what you have or you can take what's underneath this box. And the box may be really small, but you don't know. Good things can come in small packages. Or they may ask you, would you like to take what's behind one of these three doors? And there's door number one, door number two, and door number three. So the running joke that you may have heard over time is, pick what's behind door number one. The deal is worth $8,757. Is it behind door number one or door number two or door number three? And before I ask you what door you want, because you're the first person I went to, I want you to know, I want you to know, hold it, hold it. There's just room for only one guy at a time here. Sharon Daniels, you've set a record on this show. I don't think anybody's gone for a door with 59 cents. But at least for that big deal on the big nighttime show and a possible 8,000 plus waiting. So what door do you want? Uh, I'll take uh, three. Door number three is the one I'm going to show you for your 59 cents right now. And Sharon, you get yourself hamburger. A $50 gift certificate from Big Boy Family Restaurants, famous for the original double-decker hamburger, over 650 family restaurants across the country and Canada. And we want you to start visiting some of those restaurants right away with this brand new car! The idea was they would always do these different things to try and get you to take a different offer. Now, on the whole, the show was trying to mitigate its own risk and give away the fewest number of prizes while providing the most entertainment. Hello and welcome to the Monty Hall Problem with me, Ron Clark. 
Imagine you are on a game show. The game show host shows you three doors. Behind one of the doors is the star prize, a car. Behind the other two doors are booby prizes, two goats. You have no way of knowing which door conceals which item, and whichever door you pick, you'll receive the prize behind it. You are asked to pick a door. But before it is opened, the game show host opens one of the other two doors. Now the host knows where the car is, and he always opens a door to reveal a goat. You are then asked whether you'd like to swap your chosen door for the one remaining closed door. The question is, should you swap? Should you stick with your original choice, or does it make no difference what you do? Which would give you the greatest chance of winning the car? I'll give you ten seconds to think about it. So, what do you think? Now, most people will say that it makes no difference whether you swap or not. Behind one closed door is a goat, and behind the other closed door is the car. Therefore, the chances of choosing the car are fifty-fifty. So it makes no difference whether you swap or not. Now this sounds perfectly sensible. However, it's not correct. The Monty Hall problem is a puzzle about probability. The problem is simple to understand, but the answer is counterintuitive. So what should you do? The answer is you should always swap, as this gives twice the chance of winning the car. Why? Well, there are many different ways to explain why, but perhaps the easiest is to examine what your chances of winning the car are for the two strategies: swapping and not swapping. Let's start by looking at what happens if you choose not to swap. At the start of the game, you are asked to pick a door. Since there are three doors and only one hides the car, the probability of you picking the car is one in three, or about thirty-three percent. And since there are two goats, the probability of you picking a goat. Is two in three, or about sixty-six percent. Now, if you don't swap your door, it doesn't matter which other goat door the host opens, because you are sticking with your first choice. And the chance that you've already picked the car is thirty-three percent, and the chance that you've already picked a goat is sixty-six percent. So, by not swapping, you have a thirty-three percent chance of winning the car, and a sixty-six percent chance of winning a goat. Now, let's look at the consequences of swapping. Let's consider what happens if, by luck, you pick the car first time—a 33% chance. It's obvious that if you pick the car on your first go and then swap, you are going to end up with a goat. So if you swap, you're going to win a goat at least 33% of the time. What about if you pick a goat first time? Well, here is the crux of the problem. This time, there is only one goat the host can reveal. The host opens the only other goat door, and then you swap. To the remaining closed door, the car. In fact, every time you pick a goat door first time and then swap, you will win the car. And the chances of you picking a goat first time are 66%. So by swapping, you have a 33% chance of winning a goat by picking the car first time, and a 66% chance of winning the car by picking a goat first time. So you should always swap to the remaining door. Why? Because if you do, you'll have a 66% chance of winning the car, and only a 33% chance if you don't, and that is double the chance. I hope this explanation makes sense, and that you can see the truth behind the Monty Hall problem. The only remaining question is: Do you actually want to win a car, or would you rather win a goat?
So the, one of the things that happened was a lot of times there would be a live animal behind one of the doors. So you might see a donkey, for instance. Now, that would actually be the prize you would get, and they would give away the donkey. Do you want the money that comes in here, or do you want the curtain? I'll take the money. She's going to take the money, and let's see what was behind the curtain that she passed up, and there was a real live ostrich. We were going to give you the bird. Hey, there he is. Over here, ostrich. No, no. All the action's over here. Carol, hang on to him. That ostrich happens to be one of the great ostrich sulky races of all time. And he's looking straight ahead because that's the way he wins all his races. He sure ain't looking this way. No, here, I'm over here, ostrich. Realizing that most people can't take a donkey home with them, they would actually offer an alternate prize of, say, $100 instead of the donkey. So that would be the, uh, the way they'd work it. But it was really clever, and it was kind of fun, kind of a fun show that they did. And it was entertaining. And I watched it a few times on TV when I was growing up, and I remember it being pretty entertaining. And as I said, Money Hall was great. He was really funny in the things that he did, and uh, had some very clever and innovative ideas. So, that's the premise for the show. Now, if you know anything about productions of TV shows or movies, you know that sometimes a 30-minute show such as this can take many, many, many hours to produce. So, over the course of time, they produce a number of shows. These 128 shows that they produced came about over the course of, let's say, about a year. So, if you think about 365 days in a year, they're filming on about 130 days, and that gives them the the ability to create those shows. So, they would basically be filming during the week for some period of time. And each each day would have one show that they would film. So, it fills up pretty much the whole day. And that's the way it works. That's the nature of the production. They can be a little slow. There can be other technical issues. There can be things that they need to reshoot. There, there can be things that they need to do early on. Things happen, and the production can take the whole day. Now, understanding that, here's where this story goes. So back in 1990, when they moved the production to Orlando, they had it at the Disney MGM Studios. Now, I heard about it from a friend of a friend that they were casting for the show. Now, the casting, it's an open casting. Anyone can show up in any type of costume. You had to wear a costume, and you show up, and you actually get selected by the producers to be on the show. The way they set it up is they had maybe a couple of hundred people come. I think the studio audience is maybe 150 people that are in costume that are sitting down on the main part of the stage and can be selected to be uh, one of the contestants. And then another hundred or so people can sit up above and watch the production but aren't part of that studio audience that's uh, going to be selected. But you can actually watch it. So what they'd have is you know, a casting call where they'd have like 200 or so people show up and then they'd select 100 to 150 of them to fill the main audience and the rest of them could sit up at the top and then could, uh, could actually watch the production and uh, cheer on their family or friends or whatever. So that's the way they set it up. And in the way that Disney had the MGM Studios set up when they actually had working movie studios was that there were several of them right there along where Pixar Place is now. So where Toy Story Midway Mania is, where Walt Disney One Man's Dream is, and where that empty studio is that's had different shows in it like the Narnia show and the Pirates of the Caribbean and so forth, all of those were actual working movie studios at some point. Now, I had had occasion to be inside most of them over time uh, before they became what they are today, so I remember them all being set up as actual production sites. They were set up with stages and seats, and there were cameras, and there was uh, production equipment that was in there, and there was a little workroom up at the top where they'd have the studio 
uh, where they'd actually do the production and uh, record it and so forth and, you know, have the, uh, the mixing boards and everything else that's up there. So they'd have the, uh, the production area. And all of that was there. So this was in one of the studios. I think, if memory serves, it's in the one... It was in the one that was actually where uh, Walt Disney One Man's Dream is because it was just past the entrance there. So that's where they were filming the, uh, the Let's Make a Deal show. So it was actually set up like a real working studio. So the way it worked was I heard about it that they were doing casting for this show. And I called a couple of family members and friends and we said, okay, let's meet up. We'll go to the uh, production. So I called the number, gave the number of people that were going to be there and so forth. And they said, okay, be here on this date. Great. So... At about 10 o'clock in the morning, we show up at the entrance to the MGM Studios. So off to one side, if you're walking up toward the main entrance and you have the gates that are there straight in front of you, you walk all the way to the right, and there was a little waiting area, a little holding area over there. So we walked over, and we uh, held up over there. Now, we were not going into the park, so we, weren't, we didn't need a ticket to go in. They actually came and got us. There were some producers that came and got us, brought us around the back side of the studio, and took us in a back entrance. So we went in, and we uh, were sitting in there, and we were waiting. And they took us into the, the main hallway, and you could sit in the hallway, and you could look outside and see the theme park, the Disney MGM Studios, and people walking by and going about their day. So when I heard the stories about the people creating the My Magic experience, and they were sitting in there, and they could see out and watch the people in the parks as they were creating the experience, I have a sense of what they were talking about, because we were there for one day doing this particular uh, TV show, waiting to go in and actually do the production. So we, uh, we went in about, you know, 10, 15 or so. We were all in our costumes and we were sitting there. Like I said, there's about maybe 200 of us, 250 of us, something like that, that were in this uh, holding area. And it was like a lobby, basically, if you kind of, if you go into uh, Walt Disney One Man's Dream, where that open area is, where they have the displays in there, we were sort of in that area. There was no other displays in there, so there was plenty of room for about 200 people to sit in there and, uh, and wait around. Well, and wait around we did. So 10 o'clock comes, 11 o'clock comes, we hear from the producers that they'll be selecting the contestants soon, and we're just kind of sitting there, and it gets kind of silly, and, you know, after a while, it's 12 o'clock, then it's like 12.30, then it's 1 o'clock, and they still haven't come in to get anybody, and it's really kind of strange, and by now, you can imagine people are getting a little restless, because the restrooms weren't exactly nearby, and they weren't accessible, and what they would do is take a Disney cast member uh, to take you across through the park and just to the nearest uh, restroom, which was just up about, you know, 10 steps outside the door, then they would bring you back to the door because they didn't want anyone escaping into the park where it's a theme park that you had to pay for. So they, uh, they did that, and uh, a couple people would come and go like that. But the pro- other problem was, you know, here it was, we'd been there for several hours already, and there was no food. So we're all kind of sitting there going, gee, uh, it'd be nice if we ate something, or, you know, we could go out and eat something, anything at this point. But they wouldn't let us into the park to actually go get something to eat. Couldn't even go to the popcorn stand that was right across because they didn't want to release us into the park. So it was a bit of an issue for a couple of hours there. And after a while, started to get a little hungry. At some point, they did kind of relent a little bit and let us go get popcorn. And uh, I think a couple people had some sandwiches with them or whatever, and they were sharing among the crowd. So, you know, it wasn't horrible. And I think they brought us some water or something, so we had something. And they may have even brought, like... um, some pretzels or something for us to have. I can't remember. It was something like that, where at some point they just brought us a little something to snack on, which was awfully nice. But we'd been there for several hours already. And so we're standing there, and finally the producers come out. And, you know, maybe it's 1.30 or 2 o'clock, the producers come out, and they, uh, they want to see who all the con- potential contestants are. So they walk through the crowd, and they're looking at it, and you're supposed to hoot and holler and whoop it up and do everything in character so they can decide who would make a good 
contestant on the TV show or potential contestant on the TV show. And they just walked among the crowd. They're picking the people and they're going through and they're saying, you, we want you, we want you. And after they'd passed by me three or four times, I realized they were never going to pick me. Now, my mom had already been picked. Uh, she was dressed as a bag lady, and it was really kind of a funny costume. She'd worn it several times for Halloween. She looked like a bag lady. It was awesome. And uh, they picked her to be in the studio audience. They didn't pick anyone else in our group. I think my brother and my dad, and I think I had a couple of other friends. They didn't pick any of us. But they picked my mom. So she went, and she was in the group that was going down to the studio. And we had already decided if they don't pick any of us, we're just going to leave and call it a day. Don't even need to see them producing the show. But as it happens, because she was actually picked to be in it, we decided to stay and watch the rest of the production. So we hung around, and uh, they brought her down, and it was probably, you know, another half hour or so where they got everyone in and seated. And uh, then they brought us up to the top where we were watching the, watching the recording the, from the live studio audience. We were part of the audience, and we were watching uh, the show get, get started. So they came out, and we actually got to watch the recording of a TV show. Now, you know, it's kind of a rarity. Some people get a chance to do this in their life. Some people get to go see a live production of a TV show, whether it's a, a TV show like, say, The Big Bang Theory that's on today, or maybe it's The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Whatever it is, there's opportunities to see live TV. Maybe you even get to be on something like The Price is Right. And it's kind of fun. You know, it's an interesting experience. But the day had already been long, and now we were here, and, uh, you know, we're still sitting in our silly costumes and kind of watching the production from up at the top. And the production went on for... I want to say it was about an hour and a half of production for the half hour of a game show that was going to happen. So the host at that point was Bob Hilton. And Bob really wasn't the most interesting guy as far as game shows go. Kind of a forgettable guy as far as that goes. He comes out, there's a producer guy who came out and he talked to us first and he told us what to do and when to cheer and when to holler and how to, how to react to certain things. You know, to boo once in a while or give the awe if something happened or, you know, if, they, uh, if the person selected the donkey behind there to, to give it an appropriate awe. So it was kind of kind of neat because we got that sense of what it was going to be like. Then they get the production all ramped up. You hear the director uh, call for everybody in their places. Then the guy comes out and he starts doing the game show and he starts running through the game show. He makes a mistake. He starts again. They do some other things. They roll through the production for a little while. They're just giving us these different pieces and showing us different things. And he's going through and he's doing the show. And uh, he selected several people in the crowd to come to do the, uh, the game show and be a part of the audience and uh, actually participate and win some prizes and whatever. And uh, he actually picked someone that was sitting right next to my mom. That was the person he picked, was right next to her. And he actually won some small amount of money. I don't remember what the amount was, but he did win something. And it was kind of, kind of interesting that he won something. And, uh, you know, then they go through the rest of the production and they finish it off. And toward the end of the show, one of the things they do is they have this little gimmick that they used to do where they'd say, okay, anybody that has a paperclip on them, I'll give you $50 for a paperclip. Anybody that has a loose sock, I'll give you $20 for the sock. And I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll still pay off some money right now. I'll give you $300 for a silver dollar before we go off the air. $300 for a silver dollar. See, he doesn't have a silver dollar. Isn't that too bad? All right, I'll still give you $100 for a half a dollar. $100 for a half dollar. What have you got? I'll tell you what I want from you. Let's make it a deal. This is Stephen Hayes' Monty Hall production. Any, any random thing that you wouldn't expect someone to have, a clothespin, you know, something like that, they would ask for, and they'd give you some amount of money for it. And my mom had this bag with all this stuff in it, this random assortment of stuff in it that she could use for that very purpose. And twice she had the thing that he was looking for and he was standing right next to her, but he didn't get to her. And then the last time he turned right to her and she, he asked for the paperclip or whatever and you know, 50 bucks and she held up the paperclip and he goes, all right. And the, the director yelled cut at just that moment. And he goes, okay, thanks very much folks. And walks off. 
So she didn't actually get the 50 bucks, even though she had it and he had said, yes, I'll give you the money. He didn't give it to her. But uh, that's the way it goes. It's not, you know, not a huge deal. We got the experience of doing it and it was kind of neat. We sat up there and we watched the whole production and, you know, it was kind of fun to just sit there and watch it. And when it aired many months later, it was probably about three or four months later that they actually aired it. We watched the whole show and we videotaped it to watch it back again. You could see us off in the distance on a long shot that they did a couple of times. And you could see my mom in the crowd many times as they panned across. And when they selected the contestant next to her, she was clearly visible in the show. So it was kind of neat. She made national TV and was in a uh, game show. So it was kind of fun. It was just too bad she didn't get on there. But anyway, the, uh, the story goes that, you know, we ended our day. We finished up. We, uh, we did everything that we were going to do there. They finished up the show and then they ushered us out and uh, sent us out uh, the door and uh, to the back door and then back up to the front and then let us, left us off in the parking lot where we'd started right by the front entrance and then we could go home from there. And it was an experience. I don't know if it was good or bad. I'm not sure. I think had it been on a studio where you had access to other things besides just this area that you were in, it might have been better. It was just kind of weird and awkward because you were at the Disney MGM Studios and couldn't go out into the park at all. And I understand the security things and all that, and I understand that we hadn't paid to go in the park. I get that. In fact, I think I was an annual pass holder, but because I hadn't scanned at the gate when I first came in, I couldn't go back in the park. It was kind of a weird happenstance, kind of a weird arrangement that they had. Because the production company was not a Disney production company. It was this separate company that was leasing the space from Disney to actually produce this show. So it was kind of a weird mix of things that happened there where they wouldn't let us in the park. And I get that. And I understand that even if you were at a other studio, there's a possibility they wouldn't let you in other areas because they're trying to protect themselves anyway, uh, because you, you're just there to do the game show. But it was just kind of weird. You know, you would have thought they would have brought in some kind of catering, something, had a little setup where they charge you five bucks for a sandwich. That would have been okay, too. It was kind of neat to actually see the production of the show and, and be a part of it, uh, if only for one time. It was just sort of awkward because the studios kind of wasn't set up for that. The way the MGM Studios was set up, it really didn't quite work for that. Had we been in another place, maybe it would have worked better. It's hard to say. You know, other, other productions sometimes uh, are more well-organized. I felt like it was a little disorganized along the way. They had issues. Um, they had some technical issues. They had some logistics issues. We were in one of the early groups that did the show. Uh, I think, like I said, the show went on for about a year. And we were in maybe, I, I want to say it was like the third or fourth day that they were filming. So I imagine they had some technical glitches and things they had to iron out. But uh, that's kind of how it went. Now, you can kind of sense from this that it was a little frustrating. It was a long day, and I know productions can be long, and uh, sometimes that happens that way. When you're a game show contestant, and you're just going down there, and there's nothing that you've done, you've just showed, you know, you called ahead of time, and you said, I want to be on this game show, and they go, okay, fine, we'll hold a space for you. And you go down there, and there's no expectations at all, and you don't know what, what to do. They just tell you, hey, dress this way, and that's it. And you go in there, and it's, it's a very long day, and there weren't many breaks, and it was kind of hard to do much of anything other than just sit there on the floor and wait. And it, kinda, it was kind of stinky in a way. What, what was missing there for me was the fact that you, were, you knew you were at a Disney-sponsored event, even though it wasn't a Disney event, because you were on the Disney property. Uh, we didn't have to pay to park. That was nice. They let us go through the, the parking gate. You, you were still there, and it, it felt very Disney-like. You could look out wistfully through the window and watch people walking by and having fun in their day, and you're just sitting there. Not that it wasn't fun. You're just sitting there kind of waiting. It's like, hurry up, take your time. 
we have to sit here and wait for a little bit for the next thing to happen. And it just kept going like that for hours and hours and hours. And had there been anything to kind of just take our mind off of it a little bit and find some other things to do, it probably would have been okay. And I think the fact that, you know, my mom was the only one that was picked and she wasn't, she wasn't a contestant, which is okay. It just kind of took away from the whole experience a little bit. And the whole thing just kind of went downhill. And we talked about it afterwards as, as a group, and we said, yeah, that was okay. You know, it wasn't anything spectacular. It wasn't horrible by any stretch of the imagination, but it wasn't anything great, and it seemed to be missing something. And I remember distinctly, I was, I was a big letter writer. I was one of those people who always would follow up with people through letters. That's just the way I was. We didn't have email at the time, so I would always be sending letters off and telling people what I thought about things. And this is a case where I sent a letter off to Disney and the, to the production company that did the show, and explained what I thought about it. And to their credit, Disney answered me and said, you know, we're sorry to hear that. Thanks for the feedback, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I appreciate that. And um, I think I may have even gotten a voucher for a free popcorn or something, whatever. You know, something trivial, but not exactly, right? One of those things where it's like, hey, thanks, we appreciate that. Whereas from the production company, I don't think I ever heard another word. I'm still waiting to hear back from them. It was one of those things where they just didn't even respond to it, didn't even, didn't even contact me back, which is fine. I get that. It's their, it's their prerogative but it just seemed kind of odd. Now, from what I heard from other people who went to later events, it was better in the future, but still kind of lacked something, and that's why it only lasted a year or so there. It's kind of a strange thing, the way Disney mixed in real TV shows and movies with this theme park that they were trying to attract people to. It was like they couldn't quite figure out who they wanted to be at that point in time, and I get that, and they were still trying to grow into their shoes a little bit. The park had only been open for a year and some change at that point. So they were still growing, and they were still trying to figure out their way. And I get it, and I can't fault them for it on the whole. It was just an interesting experience. And so that's what Disney's MGM Studios was at the time. It was sort of this interesting mix of different things that were happening. And it gives you a sense of kind of what it was like. It was kind of a weird day. It was you know strange, unusual. I don't think it was so unusual from the production side. That's the way things go. But as a not guest, but a potential contestant on a show, it was kind of a strange mix. It was just a weird feeling being on Disney's property without being in the parks and watching everybody else go by and just being sitting there waiting for something to happen. It was, a, it was an interesting day, to say the least. And as I said before, I do get a sense of what it was like to be producing the Magic Band and the whole My Magic experience from the people who were working in those studios that I had once been in, and they were watching people or hearing people come by and enjoy their days, and here they were doing all this stuff where they were creating the My Magic experience. I get it. I understand it, because I can appreciate it. For that one day, that's what it was like for me. I was sitting back there. I wasn't getting paid. I wasn't getting anything out of it. I was just there to be a contestant on a game show. And I spent a whole day there. I don't want to say wasted, because I wouldn't call it wasted, but I spent a whole day there. And I got to see the production from another angle. Now, I've been involved behind the scenes on productions and other things. Back in the 80s, I did some production work for a television studio, so I understand what it's like, and I know there are production issues, and I knew what I was getting into, more or less anyway, when I went into it. But it still was interesting to see it from that perspective of the person sitting there waiting to be on the show. It was kind of a weird day, you know, it's just kind of being treated like cattle in some ways. And I realized why I don't want to be in front of the camera that much. I get it. Um, but I like doing things like this where I can talk about it and uh, explain and express what I, what I saw. It was a fun sort of a day. It was an interesting experience. I'm glad I did it. As you, can, as you may guess, I never did it again. There were other shows that they produced from there over the years and some other movies that they casted for where they were looking for extras and so forth to come down, and I never did it again, because after this one experience, 
I didn't need to do it again. I had my experience there. Had it been somewhere else where there wasn't maybe the theme park attached to it, I might have felt differently about it and might have done another one. But I didn't anyway because I I had my experience. And and while I didn't enjoy it, I got a lot out of it and I took a lot away from it. And here it is like 25 years later and I'm still talking about it. So it does give you a sense of what an impression it made on me. And that's the story of the day that I spent at Disney's MGM Studios being a contestant or a potential contestant on Let's Make a Deal. Interesting, right? One of those stories, you know, not many people can tell that kind of a story. I know there were a number of people that came through there, but I wonder how many of them remember that and remember the experience in going through it. It was a, it was an interesting time. Well, that's my podcast for this week. I've given you a little look back in history on what it was like to be at the real working movie studio that was Disney's MGM Studios. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed this little talk about what it was like at that point in time. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there... Please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 